Well, good morning. We're going to continue our hymn series this morning, and we reflect on what God has done for us. We're so moved with hearts of praise and thanksgiving that we can't help but sing out to Him. And we're going to sing three songs with a common theme in mind as we lift our hearts of praise and song to Him. He is the source of our song, and He is the theme of our song. And the question is, why do we sing? Why do we sing this morning? These, these three hymns express the biggest three reasons why we sing. And we, we begin with Charles Hutchison Gabriel, who was born in uh, Wilton, Iowa, and was raised on a farm. His father led singing schools in their homes, and, and young Charles developed, we're told, an interest in music. And it's said that he taught himself to play the family's reed organ. He gave his heart to Christ as a teenager, and, and even though he never had any formal training in music, he began to travel and lead his own singing schools in various locations around the age of 17. And his musical talent was well recognized in his boyhood home there. There's one folklore story that the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Wilton once saw young Gabe walking and uh, young Charles walking in, in the town early in the week, and he asked him if he knew a good song to go along with his sermon. And the pastor shared what the sermon topic was. And by the end of the week, the boy had written a song for that Sunday, words and music, all complete. Eventually, he served as music director at Grace Church in San Francisco, starting in 1890. And while working at Grace, he was asked to write a song for a mission celebration. He wrote, Send the Light, which became his first commercial song. It would be nearly a decade later that he would be so moved by the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary that he would write the words and music to one of our favorite hymns, I Stand Amazed. And join us this morning as we lift our voices to proclaim with Charles how marvelous how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Yes, we sing because he loved us. And for that, we can say with Charles Gabriel, I stand amazed. Sing with us. In the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned unclean How marvelous, how wonderful And my song shall Oh 
short of amazing. And it might seem unlikely that a blind writer of hymns living in a slum and a wealthy woman living in a mansion would have anything in common. But Fanny Crosby, the blind hymn writer, was a humble woman with, with a number of distinguished friends. Grover Cleveland, who later became president of the United States, met Fanny Crosby at a, as a young man, and they became lifelong friends. Well, the friend in the mansion was Phoebe Knapp, the daughter of a Methodist evangelist. And when she was just 16 years old, Phoebe married Joseph Fairchild Knapp, a young man who went on to found the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. The Knapps worshipped at the John Street Methodist Church in Lower Manhattan, which is where Fanny Crosby also worshipped. And so a friendship was born. Phoebe, the wealthy matron, often invited Fanny, the blind hymn writer, to her palatial home. Well, Phoebe enjoyed music and had a music room furnished with a collection of instruments, and during one of Fanny's visits, Phoebe invited her to the music room, where Phoebe sat down at the keyboard and played a tune that she had written. Fanny, she asked, what does that say to you? Fanny clapped her hands in delight and said, that says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And so a hymn was born. During her lifetime, Fanny Crosby wrote 8,000 hymns many of which became famous, but Blessed Assurance resonates as the hymn we most closely associate with the prolific hymn writer. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. If Charles Gabriel reminded us to sing because God loved us, Fanny Crosby reminds us to sing because he saved us. Sing with us. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending, bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song.
because he saved us and assured us eternity in heaven with him. And our last hymn this morning reminds us that we sing because he provides everything we need while we travel on this earth. We sing because of his providence, his goodness. He has filled our lives and our hearts with all good things. He's our sufficiency. It's a song written by Bill and Gloria Gaither, the greatest hymn writers of our time, and in the late 1980s, the couple was moved by an African rhythm that they had heard. And Bill began turning this into a melody, and the pair felt that it was perfectly suited to express their love and devotion to God, imploring him to hear and accept the deep longings of the human heart after his heart. The Gaither Trio at the time was scheduled to start recording tracks for a new project, and so convinced of the song's power Bill went on to record the music for the song without having any lyrics for it. When the track was finished, he brought it to his wife, Gloria, in, into the studio to listen. And she loved the music she heard, but, but it wasn't quite a song yet. Got any ideas, Bill asked her? C could you write lyrics for this? I sure could, she replied. Could you do it right now? <laughs> Gloria took a pad of paper and began writing as quickly as she could. Hear my song, Lord, you fill me with music. Hear my words, Lord, you fill me with praise. Take this moment, I just can't waste it. This one, it's yours, Lord, I give you this day. She showed it to Bill. He and Michael English sang through it at the studio piano. Can you write the next part, he asked. She continued to write, when I'm hungry, you feed me living bread. When I'm thirsty, water of life. I will not fear, you're always with me. Every need I have, you satisfy. Inspired by the truth of Psalm 22, verse 3, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. She completed the last stanza. Hear your children, O Lord. We are lifting our praise to you. Let praises like incense now rise to your throne. Come dwell in the place hollowed out for your spirit. Come make of our praises your temple, your home. Bill and Gloria said what, that when the two sections of the song were superimposed over each other, the harmonies were so fresh and so beautiful they brought tears to their eyes. I concur. We sing because he loved us. We sing because he saved us. And we sing because of his providence and goodness to us. God inhabits the praises of his people. Lord, fill this place with your presence. Inhabit our praises with your presence as we lift our song to you. my song, Lord, you fill me with music. Hear my words, Lord, you fill me 
with praise. Take this moment, I just can't waste it. This one is yours, Lord, I give you Well, good morning again. Good morning. 
I can't tell you how much that um, my wife Anne and I have been looking forward to being with you again here in San Ramon. We have, it's six months since we have been here and we have, we have prayed for you almost every day and I'm touched to know that uh, you have been praying for us as well and God has answered prayers, particularly in relation to Anne and her health and what a joy it is just to be, to be with you again, again this morning. Um, <clears throat> we sing because we love him. Amen. His great love that Jim read to us this morning, his great love wherewith he loved us, have so encouraged me that I want to read to you this morning about that great love, the love of God. And let us catch the wonder of it this morning, the wonder, the wonder that Jesus loves me. Shall we read together in the New Testament and the book of John, please, the Gospel of John in chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. And we're just going to read the, the one verse, please, in this uh, chapter, John chapter 3 and verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's worth reading that verse again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now another verse, please, in the book of Ephesians, in the New Testament again, in chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And reading this time... <clears throat> At verse number 14, Ephesians 4, verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of in earth and heaven is named, <clears throat> that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit and the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Trust that the good Lord will... <clears throat> Bless these lovely readings to all our hearts as we think together about this wonderful subject this morning of the love of God. Some that are here that are as old as me this morning will remember George Beverly Shea and how that man used to sing with such pathos and feeling. And one of the most lovely hymns that George Beverly Shea ever sang was about the love of God. And he said, The wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. And so I want us all from the very beginning this morning to really be encouraged that in spite of all our faults and in spite of all our failures and in spite of all our weaknesses, there is a God that loves us and that gave His Son to die for us on Calvary's tree. What a wonderful love the love of God to the likes of you and to me. I want to speak to you this morning about this love of God in all its wonder and in all its greatness and in all its uniqueness that has already been our consideration in our former meeting this morning. John 3.16, I think, 
is perhaps the best known verse in all of the Bible. It would be interesting this morning if I were to ask those that are converted in this meeting, how many have been converted through John chapter 3 and verse 16? I think this verse has been the most used in all of our Bible as the verse that has pointed sinners to the Savior for salvation. What a wonderful verse it is. Some people think that John said these words. I want to tell you this morning, I believe that although John wrote them, that God so loved the world, I believe these words came from the very heart of Christ himself. As he spoke to Nicodemus that evening in Jerusalem and looked into his eyes and communicated to him this marvelous truth, for God so loved the world. You know, the amazing thing about this verse is this. This is the only verse in our Bible. John 3, verse 16 is the only verse in our Bible that tells us that God loved the world. Paul, in one of his writings, tells us that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. In another verse, he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. But if we want to learn this lovely truth that God loved the whole wide world of sinners lost and ruined by the fall, we have to turn to John 3.16. It's the only verse in the Bible that tells us God loved the world. The sinners of Ireland, the sinners of this great country of yours in the United States of America, the sinners of Asia and Europe, all over the world, John 3.16 tells us this lovely truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We sing a little chorus back home with the boys and girls. I don't know if you sing it here. It goes something like this. It's about the love of God. It says it's so high, you can't get over it. It's so low, you can't get under it. And it's so wide, you can't get round it. Oh, wonderful love. What a love it is, the love of God, that He loved a world like you and me and gave His Son to die on Calvary. I want us to think this morning about the wonder and about the greatness of that love. You see, it's so great we cannot measure it. No one has ever measured the love of God in all its fullness and in all its extensiveness and in all its greatness. It cannot be measured. But when we come to Ephesians chapter 3 where we read, there are, there, there are not measurements there. there. There are dimensions there. There's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And there are these four dimensions in Ephesians 3 which might help us this morning to appreciate more of this wonderful love of God. That you might be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth? How broad is it? How broad, how wide is the love of our God? John 3.16 will help us with that. Here's how broad it is. For God so loved the world. That's it in His breadth. That's it in its extensiveness and in its greatness that God so loved the world. Now, that is not the world. That's not the world, the geographical world that we look upon. That wasn't the world that God was speaking about. And you know, there are some brethren back home 
and I have to differ with them. And I think you will differ with them probably as well. Because they think that God only loved the world of the elect. And He only loved the world of the few that would respond. I tell you, some of these men must have very small hearts and very small minds. Because I believe that God loved the world of sinners lost, whoever or whatever they may be, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the sinners of the world. What a tremendous truth it is this morning that God loved the world and His breadth, how, how broad it is, how broad it is. And that's why the Savior died and shed His blood upon the cross because God loved the world. Oh, friends, this morning it humbles me. It humbles me that God would love the, lo the likes of me and give His Son to die on Calvary's cross for the likes of me and for you and for the whole for the whole wide world. What a work, what a work on Calvary's cross. Can I say this morning, that's why then I believe, that's why then I believe that little children, before they reach the age of responsibility or the age where they're able to decide for themselves, that's why I believe that little children whom God takes home to heaven in early days, that's why I believe those little children go to heaven. Because the work upon the cross was sufficient for the whole world, and those little children are sheltered neath His precious blood. And just before we came away, I received in the, in the post a letter from a dear lady whose little boy of seven, a farmer's son, had fallen into at home what we call a slurry tank that farmers use for fertilization, and the fumes in those tanks are toxic. And this little boy of seven had slipped in one day with his father and had been overcome and taken home to heaven at seven years of age. That dear lady wrote to me, broken-hearted about her boy. I wrote back and I said, I have not the slightest doubt that because of the value of the work of Christ upon the cross of Calvary, that little boy is safe in heaven with the Savior who loved him and died for him on Calvary. I trust that this will be some consolation to you. That's the breadth of it. In the coming day, they'll come from the east, and they'll come from the west, and they'll come from the north and from the south. Thank the Lord, they'll come from Ireland, and they'll come from the States, and they'll come from every corner of the world and sit down in the kingdom of God in heaven. How broad is it for God so loved the world that you might know the breadth and the length. How long is it? How long is it? For God so loved the world. Here's the length of it. Here's the length to which that love of God would go that He gave His only begotten Son. Oh, what lengths, my friend, this morning! What lengths God has gone to to demonstrate to you and me His love, that He might give His only begotten Son. Do you sing sometimes, hear that hymn, that modern hymn, how deep the Father's love for us a love beyond all measure that God should give 
his only Son, to make a wretch his treasure. Oh, friends, this morning the length of it humbles us and amazes us and bows us down low to think that this love was so great and so long that he would give his only begotten Son. I have a dear friend at home. He told me one Sunday morning, he said to me, he said, I'll not be at the meeting this morning. And that's quite unusual for him. He never missed. I said to him, what's wrong, Birdie? He said, my big girl, who's at university, who's at college, she's going away into Europe for a year, and I have to take her to the airport this morning. And I want to take her up and see her off, and I'll not be at the meeting. And I said, okay, no problems, I understand. And after the meeting, I, got, I give him a little ring on the phone to see how I'd get on. And I said to him, well, Bertie, is your big girl away? And there was silence on the other end of the phone. He never spoke a word. I said, I said are you still there? He said, I'll ring you back later and put the phone down. I said to Anne, I wonder what's, wonder what's wrong with Bertie. He, could, he couldn't speak. He couldn't speak. I tell you, the day that our boy got on the plane to come to the United States of America, I knew then why Bertie couldn't speak. I knew then what it was for a father and for a mother to leave their lovely son, their child, their daughter, and to give him up to something that they knew not what the future held, and all those miles and miles and miles to intervene. What must a father have felt when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son you know, we, there's, a, there's, another, there's another verse of a hymn that touches me every time I sing it. You know what it says? It says, knowing, do you sing that hymn, knowing we would bruise him and smite him from the earth? He knew the cross lay before him. He knew the suffering, the pain, the anguish, the deep distress of Calvary's sufferings. And yet he gave him. That's the length of his love. You remember in the Bible, old, old Jacob? You remember one day he sent his son, Joseph, and he said, Joseph, go down and seek the welfare of the brethren and see how they're getting on. You know what I'm going to tell you folks this morning? If old Jacob had have known what lay before Joseph, the pit and the prison, and all the awful things that lay before him, he never would have given his son. And yet God knew, knowing we would bruise him and smite him from the earth, he gave his only begotten son. That's the length of it. What's the depth of it? I like this bit. <laughs> I like it all, but I like this bit. For God so loved the world, that's the breadth. That he gave his only begotten Son, that's the length. What's the depth of it? That whosoever, that whosoever believeth on him, whosoever that's the depth of the love of God this morning, friends, that it takes in the whosoever. He came not to call the righteous, but He came to call the sinners to repentance. And sometimes I look down on an audience like this, and I look at myself, 
And sometimes I think, where would we all have been this morning? Were it not for the depth of the love of God? Some of us could have been in a lost eternity, but God has marvelously reached us and saved us by His grace. The depth of it this morning, does it not thrill our souls and touch our hearts that we're here? We love Him because He first loved us. That's the depth of it. You see, we were all sinners. Don't be offended this morning, friends, with the bluntness of it, but we were all sinners of the deepest dye, rebellious and rebelling against the loving God. Whenever Martin Lloyd-Jones took up full-time ministry in Westminster and London, the elders of that chapel noticed that there was a lady who had been very faithful before he came, noticed that she stopped coming and stopped attending. And so they decided to visit, and they arranged, and a couple of them went to see the lady. And they said to her, since Mr. Martin Lloyd-Jones came to preach, you haven't come back. Is there any reason? She said, yes, there is. And they asked her what it was. She said, you know, I'll tell you why it is. She said, because that man preaches to us as if we were all sinners. <laughs> as if we were all sinners. Well, it was hard to answer that one. <laughs> we're all sinners. You see, I'm glad you don't know how big a sinner I was. But I tell you, I'm glad I don't know how big a sinner you were. But I know this, but I know this, that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him, is there somebody here this morning has never believed on him with all their heart? Is there someone here this morning that has never said, yes, I'm the sinner, but Jesus died for me? This would be the time to do it, friends, and to get right with God and to know one's sins forgiven, and to experience personally the depth of the love of God that it takes in even me. Even me. You know, at home, in home in our little fellowship, we don't have a, we have about maybe 60. And you know, in the morning when we come to, we kind of do it the old-fashioned way, we kind of all sit, you know, sit around, and the emblems are in the midst. And just over here to my right, there's a young man. Well, he's maybe, <laughs> he's about my age, he's maybe not so young, but he's just sitting over right, right opposite me. And some mornings he gets up and reads the Scriptures. And some mornings he, get up, he gets up and so sweetly gives thanks to God for saving his precious soul. Let me tell you about the depth of the love of God in that young man's experience. He was born in the city of Derry in Northern Ireland. He was born into a Roman Catholic home and knew nothing of the gospel or nothing of John 3.16. The troubles were rampant in Ireland at the time, and that young man joined the Irish Republican Army as a terrorist with guns and bombs was apprehended and sentenced and put in prison for years and years and years. One day, he's sitting in his prison cell, and a warden comes in, a Christian warden, and says to him, would you accept a gospel tract? He says, well, you can leave it. He said, I'll not read it, but you can leave it if you want. So the warden, that godly warden, left a gospel tract. And whenever he went away and when no one was looking, he said, I better read that tract and see what it's all about. And he opened it up, and in that tract, you know what the verse was? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son but whosoever believeth in him. He said, nobody ever told me that before. I never knew that God loved me. 
a rebel, a terrorist, a sinner. I never knew that God loved me. I never knew He gave His Son for me. And in the prison cell, outside of the city of Belfast in Northern Ireland, Tommy Murray experienced the depth of the love of God when he trusted Him for salvation. Every time I see Him, oh, I think, oh, the depth of it. The depth of it. How wonderful it is that He loves the like of you and me. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him. What's the height of it? What's the height? Does John 3, 16 help us again? Should not perish. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. The height of it. You know, if, if, if the height of it, if the height of it was just that first bit, that would, that would, be, that would be tremendous heights, wouldn't it? If... if, if if all that was involved in salvation was should not perish. Oh, hallelujah. What a, what, a, what, a, what a height that would be if we knew that we were never going to perish. But you know, that's only half the story, isn't it? That's only half the story. Should not perish, but have, but have everlasting life. What a wonderful thing, my friends, this morning to have eternal life within our very soul, the very life of God. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. How wonderful it is. What, what, what heights. We used to be, we used to be in the gutter. We used to be as low as could be, but God has lifted us out of the gutter and set our feet upon the rock and established our goings, and He's put a new song in our mouth, even praise unto our God. There's a young man at home in England called the Marcus of Blansford. He wouldn't be happy if he knew I was preaching about him, by the way, but, but, but he'll never hear. He'll never hear. The Marcus of Blansford is he's the heir to millions. His father is one of the richest men in the country, and the Marcus of Blansford is the heir to it all. But he has an addiction to uh, not drugs, you know, not cocaine, uh, you know, the ordinary drugs, medical drugs. That's the word of his kind of searching, medical drugs. He has an addiction to medical drugs. And so one night he went to a chemist shop and broke in. So desperate was he for these drugs. And the Marcus of Blansford, with all his riches and all his potential, was brought before the judge in the, in the, in the, in, in the, the country of England. And as he stood before the judge, the judge said to him, Marcus, guilty or not guilty? He said, guilty, sir. You know what the judge said to him? He said to him, Marcus, he said, you're an example. You're an example of what wrongdoing does to men. He said, wrongdoing and sin. It's unusual for judges. I don't know about, I don't know about your judges, but our judges are pretty mealy-mouthed, by the way. You know, whenever, you know, they, they uh, <laughs> do you know that expression? Do you? Yeah, it means that they don't like to speak their mind, you know, in case they get into trouble. But he said, sin, sin takes a man from the highest and brings him down to the lowest. And he said, you're the example of what sin does. But you know what the gospel does? The gospel takes a man from the lowest. Eh? It takes a man from the lowest, and it sets him among the princes. It's not wonderful this morning that he's lifted us and made us what we never deserve to be. The wonder of it all, my friends, this morning, the height of it, that we should not perish, but have have everlasting life. Everlasting life. <clears throat> we, 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 we had some, I don't want to boast about, about Ireland, but we, we, had, we had some lovely, 
We had some lovely, lovely old Christian men in, in Ireland that, you know, that whenever I was a boy, they influenced me, they loved the Lord. I, I knew they had something that I hadn't got. I knew there was something about it all. It wasn't just religion. It wasn't just a story. There was something real about it. And one of them was a missionary in Africa, in the land of Angola, called Mr. Ernest Wilson. He was one of the most godly men I ever had the privilege of listening to as a boy, Mr. Ernest Wilson. He's now at home with the Lord. And I remember him telling about coming home for the very first time when he came home after being in Africa for a number of years, he came home. And it was in those old days before the jumbos and all the rest, you know, he so he said, I had to get from Angola down into Rhodesia. And I came to the border in Rhodesia. He said, I handed over my passport. And I was allowed to go through Rhodesia. And then he said, I came to South Africa to the border. And I, was, I had to go there and hand over my passport in South Africa. And that was checked. And then he was allowed to board the ship for London. And he said, when I got off the ship in London, I had to hand in my passport. And he said, then I was allowed to board another ship for Belfast. And he said, when I arrived in the city of Belfast, he said, when I walked down the gangplank in the harbor in Belfast, he said, there was a big policeman standing at the end of the gangplank. And he said, just out of habit, he said, I pulled out my passport and I gave it to the big policeman. The policeman looked at it and he said to him, Mr. Wilson, where were you born? He said, I was born right here in Belfast. He said, well, you can put that passport away because you're now at home. You're now at home. Oh, friends, this morning we have a home, a home above, from sin and sorrow free, a mansion which eternal love designed and planned for me. The love of Jesus, what it is, none but as loved ones know. Let it ring in our hearts this morning. Let us catch the wonder of it another time, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. May the Lord bless His word.